Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. You know those moments where tell me your mom without telling me your mom? Um, I was getting ready <laughs> to leave earlier today and I'm wearing this black sweater. And my daughter, let's see. Spat up all over one side of my sweater, huge white spit up drool cloud. And then on my shoulder, there's another one. Threw my hands up, second kid, I'm just not gonna change my shirt. It's fine, we're going somewhere. I breezing through all of this and then my husband comes up to me, aren't you gonna change your shirt? Are you gonna get dressed? You're not ready. And I looked at him and I said, how am I not ready? I've got pants on, I've got a nice shirt on, nice sweater on. Like, what do you mean I'm not ready? I'm ready. <laughs> and he goes, well, are you going to fix your shirt? Nope. <laughs> We're good to go. Let's just leave. Uh, it's funny to see the things that you kind of just shirk once you're uh, a parent of more than one or just things that matter to you that eh, they still matter, but sometimes you can just let go of. I'm actually going to talk about that a little later on uh, during the show. Not that you shouldn't still look presentable in life, but sometimes, you know, we just have our moments. Uh, But I have this question. What did you have to take out of your life when you got married or with each kid that you had? Uh, I think these are great tips for people who maybe haven't really thought about the fact that I have a whole other human being to care for and love and spend time with. And something's got to give. Yeah, I think the culture says that we still have to do it all. So there's some fun, funny, and interesting ones of things that people gave up. I would love to hear from you. The number is 1-888-914-9149. But this is your hour. It's our marriage hour, and it's your opportunity to ask a therapist your questions. Licensed marriage and family therapist Joe Sikor is with me today on Trending, taking your questions related to dating and marriage. He wrote the recent book that just came out. And by the way, if you've been waiting, it is officially available for sale. The whole world is going crazy, but you don't have to. It's a scriptural and psychological response to what's happening in our lives and the world and how to have Christ at the center of them and be truly happy. So without further ado, joining me today on Trending to talk about marriage is Joe Sikora. Joe, welcome back to trending congratulations again on your new book oh thank you it is so great to be with you it's funny when you were talking about spit up on the shirts it just brought me back to those days <laughs> you know you give up a lot but you get so much more than you give as a parent you know when you really choose to bring children into the world you might say yeah i give up a lot of freedom but you get so much more and i would say that's the same with marriage obviously you choose to get married Uh, And you might say, well, I give up getting to do exactly what I want. That's true, but you Mm. get so much more. 
Isn't that true? I think that so often we count more so what we lost rather than what we gained. And that's a theme I think that resonates in your book. The whole world is going crazy, but you don't have to. You have a chapter specifically on marriage and discord in marriage and this whole theme of feeling miserable in your marriage. And I want to dive into this topic because I think a lot of people are in this flux where they say, okay, do I get married or sorry, do I get divorced or do I stay in a miserable marriage? And your book has a full chapter on this, whether you're married or not. I think it's a really relevant conversation because at the heart of it is kind of counting what we have rather than what we don't have. So let's talk about this. I think a lot of people are out there thinking that maybe they're that person, that statistic who shouldn't have gotten married to that person and now they maybe don't really know what to do or maybe they want to quit. Let's talk about alternatives to often the world's response to strife with a marriage and that is divorce. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. Look, usually in my practice, and I do a lot of couples work because I just believe so passionately that the strength of the family is really our country's foundation. You know, this, it all comes down to the family. And if mom and dad can't figure out how to get along, everything falls apart. And, and in this book, I actually have two chapters on marriage. We're going to focus on one today, which is really great because it's kind of interestingly titled Marriage, Misery, and Responsibility. And the reason why I wrote that is because at some point frequently, even really good people at some point will say, wow, I made a terrible mistake. I shouldn't have married this person because you feel the misery. Mm. But that's really misleading. It's not true. Feelings come and go. As I frequently say, you will feel better if you're well fed. You will feel grouchy if you're hungry. <laughs> you know, you'll feel bad if you're tired feelings come and go even in our relationships so we can't depend too much on our feelings if you know especially if you're saying wow i'm not liking this right now you know i get it but there is such a strong argument for really working on marriage and even if you feel really miserable the secular research and i always go to this because in this book i combine the scriptural side the faith orientation of of marriage and psychology but I also look at the secular research, and the secular research actually says that most people, most couples, if they can find a way to work through the misery, work through the difficulty, they are far happier in the end than those who choose divorce. So there's a great argument, uh, and, I, and I go on, I don't, I don't know if you want mm -hmm. me to read it or not, but there's just spectacular arguments to say, okay, I know you feel misery right now. It might be difficult right now, but stay with it. Work because your life literally depends on it and your children's lives depend on you creating a happy marriage. It's a striking line from your book, Joe, where you say a happy marriage makes for a happy life, almost to the exclusion of everything else. And I think that that really was eye-opening when I read that statement because it's so often uh, people focus so much on their career, how much money they do or don't have, what's going on with their children, um, the location of the state of uh, life they're in, the state that they live in, you know, all these different things that are getting in the way seemingly of their happiness. Um, but what you said in your book, a happy marriage makes for a happy life, almost to the exclusion of everything else. How do you get to that point, especially for people who are really struggling. Um, I know that you'll talk in just a little bit about, you know, that one thing that really gets in the way of marriages and why a lot of couples break up. But why is it specifically that 
a happy marriage almost allows us to let go of finding meaning and happiness in other things. Well, you know, a lot of there's been a lot of research on like what what happy marriages produce, what marriages produce. And, and those who are married tend to live longer, have fewer strokes and heart attacks, have lower chance of becoming depressed, are less likely to have advanced cancer. <laughs> you know, I mean, it goes on and on. You're more likely to survive cancer, to endure a major operation more often. I, I could go on and on and on how actually a happy marriage supports our life in so many other ways, from our physical well-being to our emotional well-being to our actually finances. Married couples make more money. I'm not saying that should be the primary reason or a a significant reason at all to to support a marriage, but there are just tons and tons of reasons to fight for the happy marriage. Mm -hmm. A Mm -hmm. a lot of people make the mistake. There's There's a correlation between a short courtship, first of all, and the success of your marriage. I, I always tell young people, and if there's young people that are questioning whether they should get married or whether they should get divorced right now, obviously, I'd love to hear from you, and Timory would love to hear from you. But a, a lot of times what I hear from couples when they come to see me is like, Joe, I think I just chose the wrong person. And I'll ask them, well, why do you think that? Why do you think you chose the wrong person? Well, I just, you know, the feelings are gone and and all of a sudden, I look at this other person, and, and I, I get kind of excited about being together with them. But you see, that's, in a sense, the, your feelings lying to you. Because everything that's new and novel at some point feels exciting. And everything that you engage in and maintain at some point becomes, well, it can feel boring. So the analogy would be like, let's say you you know, make some money and you go, wow, I'm going to go buy a new car. I'm going to go buy this car that I always really wanted, whatever it is. You would be really excited that first day, maybe the first week, maybe the first month. But after a while, you're not going to look at that car and say, wow, it just brings me great joy. At some point, that car just becomes transportation. Now, with marriages, sometimes we confuse this feeling of excitement saying, well, it must be right because I feel really excited. No, just like everything else, the excitement wanes. And that's actually the opportunity to say, okay, let me create something more than just excitement here. Let me create joy. Let me find great meaning and purpose and deepen my life and holiness through this relationship, through this marriage. And that's really the opportunity of marriage. But a lot of times people say, well, I just don't feel that excitement. Well, Mm. (laughs) yeah, but that's natural. (laughs) Yeah, it's a choice, right? It's a choice. I remember when my husband and I were dating, I had heard, you know, before I got married and before we were engaged or anything, I'd hear a lot of people, such as yourself even, talking about marriage and the challenges and hearing you say specific things just like this, that, you know, the feelings aren't always there. The excitement isn't always there. And I remember when we were dating, saying to who's now my husband, like, let's make sure, you know, we have all this fun and excitement when we're not married, that we are intentional when the time comes, that we don't allow, you know, this whole idea of romance, you know, romance is how we choose to interact with one another, um, the time we spend together, that that is still present because it's a choice. And I think that that's what's so challenging is people think, well, it's gone. And this is what I'm left with. Yeah. And then that chasm just grows and grows. And I see, you know, just having had my second kid, you know, we're 
only four years married, only two children, yet I see how easy, you know, just a second child could allow for that chasm to grow. Even just the first child, even, you know, just the busy things that happen day to day, you almost fall into that distance that can occur. And I know distance, you say, Joe, is the main reason why people often end up becoming divorced. And if you're just joining us, that's licensed marriage and family therapist, Joe Sakura. Joe, talk to us about how to kind of fix and fill that chasm that's occurring of distance that is just the absolute enemy of marriages today? I I think the first thing is to really check your own expectations. There's an interesting uh, study that found, you know, who gets divorced and why. And those people who come together because they feel this great romantic passion. Now, again, not to be confused with excitement, because hopefully if you meet somebody new and you're considering getting married, you are excited about it. You do feel some passion about it. But those who really base this idea of choosing a partner based on the romantic passion are actually more likely, more prone to divorce because that kind of passion, that kind of excitement or enthusiasm is too hard to maintain. And so what happens when that initial enthusiasm or passion begins to wane, then what people say is, well, I must have chosen the wrong person because I don't feel that same passion. But again, couples can actually cultivate that enthusiasm, not necessarily that, oh, this is brand new, but they can cultivate a deeper enthusiasm for each other with intentionality. The word that you used just a few minutes ago, you've got to be specific and intentional to choose each other. This is a funny statistic too, Timory. You're actually, where you are in the age of your marriage, four years and two kids, you're actually at one of the most difficult time in a married couple's life when they first have kids. The life satisfaction is, <laughs> I hate to say this and it's hard to believe, <laughs> is at about its lowest after you first have kids. And the reason is this, and, and this shouldn't be used to say, oh, I'm not going to have kids because I'm going to be miserable because it changes ultimately you know, uh, children and, and life and family creates much more joy in our life. But what happens is you're together with your husband. You guys are having a great time. You can do anything you want. You get married. Maybe that even expands. Now you get to do this with somebody else and you're having all this fun. And then you have children. And now all of a sudden, Timory's really tired at night because she's been up the previous night, <laughs> you know, feeding children or changing diapers or whatever else. And so couples start to think, it's like, wow, this isn't so much fun anymore. And they can begin <laughs> to feel a little bit miserable. But, you know, take heart. If you work through that, it really will contribute more to your life than anything else, that healthy marriage. I think those are the moments where you're almost laughing so hard you're crying at like what happened that day. You you even just brought that up. And I think of yesterday and I didn't share this yesterday. Um, I, my daughter, I went to bed close to 11. My daughter woke up at midnight to eat and just be awake for an hour. I kind of go to sleep and then my two-year-old wakes up and is in our bed then for the next four hours and does not fall back asleep and just chatters on all through the night. <laughs> and then she finally yeah. goes to sleep and it's time to get up. And I'm just in here going, oh, my lot. My Lanta, I have been up since midnight and got about an hour of sleep tonight. I, it, those moments where you go, okay, I love these children, but it's hard, right? Like you just want sleep even, and you can't even have that, not to mention all the other fun things you used to do. So it's interesting that you mentioned 
that life satisfaction can decrease in many ways. And I hear from couples like who are one, two, three, sometimes four children in and they're struggling and they're, you know, saying they've only been married for four, five, six, seven years. And I think that a lot of people find themselves there and they don't know what to do as that distance has grown. So you're saying it's a choice. What tips do you have? I know you discuss this in your new book. And if you're just joining us, that's Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, Joe Sakura. We're happy to take your marriage and relationship questions. Number is 1-888-914-9149. His new book, The Whole World is Going Crazy, But You Don't Have To, is available now for purchase. It's really a strong book helping you to answer some of those deep questions you have in life from a scriptural, biblical perspective, as well as from a psychological response to what's occurring in your own life. Uh, We're talking about the section on marriage. Joe, what tips do you have for people uh, to prevent that distance from continuing to develop in their relationship? Well, as I've said, you know, this conversation that you and I have had before on your show, it's the one thing that causes divorce is distance. So when you might say, wow, we encountered this financial difficulty or somebody was unfaithful in our marriage or, uh, you know, there's a health crisis or whatever, all these things, these things can even either serve to bring people together. It's like, wow, we're going to, you know, conquer this hardship together or they can serve to separate you, to push you apart. But let's set that aside for just a moment. What happens and actually what supports healthy marriage almost more than anything else is actually that sense of connection and that deep friendship that you can create within a marriage. A lot of times when people start to fight, whether they're exhausted from raising kids or stressed because of finances, whatever it is, they lose that sense of connection. They, they forget about the times when they got together when they laughed, when they played, when they dreamed together, and they begin to focus on everything that is wrong. Paul, Paul the Apostle, I love Paul, he, he says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, he says, and I'm paraphrasing, whatever is true and noble and good and beautiful, focus on these things. Now, Paul, as you know, Tim Reed, had a brutal existence I mean, he was stoned, he was lashed, you know, almost to death. He was beaten beyond belief. He was shipwrecked. But Paul's idea of focusing on what is good and true and noble and beautiful is really should be our take and our perspective in our marriage. When things are struggling, rather than focusing on everything that is wrong, go back to that time of engagement. Go back and say, honey, when we were first dating, you know, when we were considering becoming engaged or getting married, what were we doing? Go back and do those things because I guarantee you what you were focused on, what you were looking at was the good. You were seeing the good in each other. You were playful together. You were hopeful together. And so I'd say if you feel that drift, rather than focusing on what is wrong, focus on what is right, even if it was a memory, even if it was in the past, go back and do those things that supported the relationship at that time. 
You're reminding me of something we recently started doing a few weeks ago. Um, we try to do a weekly date night on Thursday nights. It's not always realistic or feasible to do that going out or with, you know, finding someone to watch our daughter and, you know, still have our third wheel with us, of course, of the baby. Um, but I finally decided I really wanted to create a book of just fun and funny memories that have occurred over the years that I know we're going to forget. So I whipped out the book and we decided that on the nights that we don't go out, we're going to light the fire, at least while it's still freezing cold in California. And we are going to just write in that book, those fun and funny memories. And it was so edifying. It was such a simple task and thing to do. Um, But it's interesting how these little exercises that sometimes you think, okay, great, a shrink, Joe Sikora said to go ahead and do this. Yet in the end, it is so helpful for that marriage and that relationship to engage in those specific things, such as not just saying them, but writing down those good memories and counting the benefits rather than the costs of life. What you are saying right now is brilliant. That is a brilliant exercise because, and I know we've talked about this, but actually engaging it, doing what you're doing with your husband is absolutely brilliant. Couples who are successful, couples who are happy, actually work to remember the past fondly. So again, we can look at the past. The brain, as I say, actually isn't great at remembering things. <laughs> we, we, we have bits and pieces of information, and then we fill in, and between those bits and pieces, information based on our current state. So in other words, if you're in a bad mood for whatever reason right now, you're going to look back at the past at whatever happened and you're going to remember it more negatively. But if you're in a good mood, you're going to look back at the past and events and you're going to remember them in a more favorable light. So the truth is actually engaging in exercises like you just described, you know, creating a scrapbook of happy memories is actually wonderful because that aids the brain when you're struggling to say, oh, yes, there were these good times in the past. That's going to make you feel more confident in the present and more hopeful about a future life ahead. So, you know, again, you've got to work sometimes to remember the past fondly. And that's that's a, a great thing that you're doing. I might tell my clients to start doing that. <laughs> oh, it's I so fun. And, you know, again, not everyone can afford to go out on a weekly date night. And, you know, I've kind of baffled with this and arranging someone to come. It's almost wor- more work sometimes than it's worth. But, you know, there are things you can do. I know people who, you know, go outside and, you know, pretend that they're in their Shangri-La outside away from the kids after they go to sleep. But take that book out there. Um, Joseph Core, licensed marriage and family therapist, is joining us today on Trending. So many questions are coming in, Joe. We're going to take those in just a moment. If you have a question for Joe, we're taking relationship and marriage questions. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. We'll be right back with Joe Sikora here on Trending. And if you haven't already picked it up, his new book is available for purchase now. It's available on Amazon. The whole world is going crazy, but you don't have to. It's a faith-filled scriptural and psychological response to what's happening in your life. So grab that book now. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes. Be right back here on Trending, taking your questions. The number's 1-888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149.
It's our weekly marriage hour today on Trending. You don't have to be married to join us, and the advice will help. We're taking your questions. The number is 888-914-9149. Okay, fascinating uh, thing that I've been hearing from a lot of couples recently having to do with a diagnosis of one of the spouses being autistic uh, once a handful of years into marriage have already occurred. So Katie from Tucson, Arizona is on the line. Katie, please share with us your question today for Joe Sakura. Hi, um, thanks for taking my call. Um, so our, our situation is a, a little pretty unique. I think as most uh, mismatched neurotypical neurodivergent couples go, but uh, my husband wasn't diagnosed until we had our son and our son was diagnosed autistic. And in the process of going through family history and everything we discovered and uh, got confirmed by two different providers that he is autistic. Um, it makes a lot of sense. We have had a very difficult, contentious marriage. Um, I'm more of a mother figure to him, and none of this was apparent while we were dating, while we were engaged, doing Catholic engaged encounter, all the stuff for our church. This all changed right after marriage. Um, so I dealt with my own feelings of loss and grief, almost feeling like I've been tricked, uh, Jekyll Hyde scenario. Um, we're both in, we've both gone to counseling several times. We're both currently in individual counseling, and it's only with the grace of God the last year or so that my husband has finally come around and started to process, basically look through his whole life with a new lens, you know, um, and figure out what he sees and how he processes the world. Um, but I know our marriage is always going to be imbalanced. Um, even today, I had to help calm him down with a simple task that overwhelmed him. It's just, it's, it's difficult. And so um, I just wanted another perspective. And if you've, you've heard about this or if you've heard of any tips, because it's very lonely, it's very isolating, and it's hard to feel like a wife in one moment and then see the person you love disappear and then you're taking a parental role again. Katie, I'm so sorry for this challenge, especially you know so far into your marriage. It sounds like the heart of your question has to do with navigating feeling like a wife versus a mother and the isolation that occurs with your spouse in these situations with him having received a diagnosis of being autistic. Joe, can you weigh in and give some tips and advice? Because I know a lot of couples are experiencing this now with later in life autistic uh, diagnoses. Well, uh, interestingly enough, I, I've worked with couples where one of them is on the spectrum and struggle with, you know, and they didn't really discover that until later on. They thought it was like obsessive compulsive disorder or whatever else. But I, I want to point to this as sort of a ray of hope that at one point, because basically you don't become autistic as an adult, it's either there or it's not. And obviously, when it becomes apparent and you say, wow, this is what we're doing, uh, dealing with, it can become, feel very traumatic because, you know, what does this mean for the relationship? But I would say, go back to those early days. You know, clearly at some point you had a thriving relationship. Uh, if it was before you got married or those early years of marriage, you had a thriving relationship. So the autism didn't get in the way there. Now, maybe problems came up later on, and I understand that's in entirely possible. Uh, and you'll have to figure out how that manifests in the relationship. For instance, if your husband, you know, you find that he, he sort of breaks down, you know, trying to complete simple tasks or something like that, you know, that's something that the two of you can work on. It, it doesn't seem like that should be 
your role as the wife to say, okay, I got to help my husband in this. But I want you to consider this example. What if one of you were in a tragic automobile accident and all of a sudden you became a paraplegic or quadriplegic? You know, as a, as a husband or as a wife, you know, you might not have thought, boy, I didn't anticipate having to do this, provide this kind of care, but you would probably find a way to do it. I, I have a, an adult son who, uh, because of his neurological degenerative and fatal disease, I'm actually his primary caregiver. He's in his late 20s now, uh, emotionally, not really, intellectually, not really, but physically, he's completely and fully dependent on me. It's not really a role I chose, but this is what was presented to me. This is what happened. And God said, this is your life. And we can either accept that or reject that. Now, I chose to accept it. You know, I, I mean, I can't imagine rejecting it, but I chose to accept it and say, okay, God, bring me into this. Let me understand this. Let me find you in the midst of this struggle because I didn't anticipate that. So I would say again, I, I get it. It's you didn't anticipate having to do this in life, but your life can still be completely fulfilling, full of meaning and purpose once you accept what is, which is in this case your diagnosis, and trying to figure out a way through it. Does that make sense? Ooh, you there? Would love to hear um, everybody's. Ahead, everybody's uh, situation is different. And, uh, so yeah. I, I, um, it's, it, it's a lot more nuanced than that. Unfortunately, I've heard versions of that, but I do appreciate your take. Thank you for your time. Do you have a follow-up question, yeah, Katie? It, it, We're happy to take it. I, I guess it's, it's not so much dealing with, um, the grief on my side and everything. It's how to deal with a spouse who can't even come to the table a lot and hid a lot of this unknowingly before marriage um, and family hid this too. So it, it's, it's not buyer's remorse, but it's just, it, it's, I can't just go back to how things were in the beginning. I've tried. He's unwilling. He's angry. He's despondent. We've gone through multiple rounds of therapy. He's on meds. It's, it is just huge. It is a heavy burden. And I can't just sit and help him. And he listens to me. Part of his problem is he absolutely does not listen until he's backed into a corner. And that's horrible. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm grasping at straws right now. I, I wish it was a little bit more easy and that advice would help. But unfortunately, it's, we're, we're well beyond that at this point. Yeah, look, I, I have, I, I hear what you're saying, Katie, and I truly respect it. In, in no way am I trying to offer some pat, simple advice. I, I know your story is far more nuanced, far more complex than we could get into right here in these few minutes that we're given. So I really get that. I, I, I truly do. I, I respect you for your effort. Uh, you know, it is a real struggle. I, I, I would say the only th other thing I would offer is you can only focus on what you can do. You know, you, you can't make him respond any differently. You can't make him accept this. You can't make him act out. Focus on what you can do. Do what is right and good in your own life for your children, if you have children, for your marriage. But I, I get it. You know, if, if he won't do it, you know, he won't, he won't do it. You, you just have to, you know, 
saying, well, this is his life, but I want you to feel good about the decisions you make. You're probably doing everything and then some that you can do in your life. I get that. Focus on that. Just realize that you're doing your part to try to make this work, but you can't do his part for him. And I do have a question, Joe. I know Katie had mentioned that they were both individually going to therapists. Would you recommend couples therapy? Um, would this be helpful in this situation for them to go through this together if both sides are willing? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I mean, clearly in an ideal world, and it sounds like she's doing that, you know, they're in individual therapy. Uh, and then I would say, you know, if you can do that in, uh, in conjunction with marriage therapy, that, that would be the ideal. But, you know, let's face it, uh, from a practical standpoint, that's extraordinarily expensive. Mm-hmm. Therapy <laughs> therapy's not cheap. And to say, oh, we've got individual therapists and we've got couples therapy, you know, maybe you space that out and you figure out what that would look like. Um, but absolutely. I, I mean, hopefully, Katie, your therapist is helping you to accept and see the value in all of your efforts and what you're doing so that you can feel good about that. And maybe that couples therapist can actually, you know, help to bridge that gap. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. More questions coming in. Uh, let's take a question from Patrick. Patrick's on line five. He has a question about strife in marriage. Patrick, welcome to Trending. What's your question today? Yeah, thank, thank you for taking my call. And, and I, I sort of disagree. I had a different experience. I guess there, there's more than one way um, for all couples to have this experience. We dated for uh, three years. We had a we, we had a great time. We got married. We've still everything's fine. Even had the kids; they were young, and and we were still uh, happily married and having a great time. But it, for me and, and and my wife, it was when they got to be their teenage years, and and she decided that they were now old enough to where they could be on their own and take care of themselves, so to speak. And 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 I disagreed, and and I still wanted to stay home with the kids. So you get back to that date night question, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying right or wrong, but uh, I just, I, maybe I was a homebody and just wanted to stay home with the kids and, and she was just ready to, to go back out and start living as if we, we didn't have kids anymore. But, um, so I, I don't know what right, right or wrong. What, what do you think? Well, Patrick, I, I think that you always have to prioritize the marriage. Your, your kids will thrive uh, above and beyond based on your marriage, believe it or not. I mean, you could be a fantastic parent individually, but the research indicates that your kids will not do as well as if the two of you, mom and dad, we have unique roles that we play, but if you can create a healthy marriage, that will actually provide the greatest opportunity for your children. So in terms of a date night, you know, going out, to me, it doesn't matter. If your date night is sitting in the backyard with a glass of wine or just sitting watching the sun set, that, that's fine. But we always need to prioritize the marriage. That needs to be the most important relationship. And from that love, from that union, from that connection, that will make you the best parents possible. So is there, let me ask you something, Patrick. Is there anything that's causing you to not want to be with your wife separately? I mean, together, well, separate other- from the kids? Other than the fact that uh, about the only nice thing she said to me during the divorce proceedings was, uh, you, you were a great father, but you just weren't a great husband. So no, and unfortunately, the, the, the end of the story was that uh, she, she divorced me, and now she 
pretty much hangs out at the at the tennis club, and and I try to spend as much time as I and and you know I, I don't I'm not putting the blame on on anybody. I mean I I I did not want a divorce, but she did. She she wanted fairly to to spend more time away than than with the kids. And and again, I, I'm not I'm not trying to pass judgment, but um, uh, that's that's how it ended. We 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 ultimately got got a divorce. Or, yeah, well, it it, it happens, you know, obviously. But do you feel like what she was really wanting was a deeper connection with you or was she just wanting a life separate from the kids and separate from you? I mean, if you looked at your role in this marriage, would you say that you did everything that you could to prioritize the marriage? Probably not. I mean, I, I, like I say, I, I, looking back on it, I, I, maybe we should have done more date nights. But, but, I, but I will say that... Uh, uh, Ultimately, her time at the tennis club turned out because her tennis partner and she were, were having an affair, and, and uh, so that's kind of what uh, what ended it as well. But but you know, again, maybe if I you know if, if we'd had more date nights, if we'd spent more time together, you know, she she would not felt uh, this um, urge to spend more time with with, with someone else, and ultimately um, you know, divorce me uh, to try to spend more time with that other person. So um, I don't know. It's yeah. it's, it's yeah. a tough call. It's it's tough, and I, I'm so sorry, Patrick. I'm, you know, there's a scripture in Malachi: God hates divorce. And I always say, yeah, most people who go through divorce hate divorce as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it is a real challenge. It, it's 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 a great challenge to make a relationship work over a lifetime. It really is. It's doable, but it requires that constant attention. And usually, and I'm not blaming you, Patrick, and I'm not. I'm not blaming any here, because I, I don't know your story in, in full, but usually when people have an affair, I mean, it's either for really ultra stupid, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I had too much to drink and this happened. But usually it's because people lose that sense of connection and closeness. And there's a natural craving that we all have. We want to feel connected to somebody. So if we can nurture that in our marriage, uh, you know, affairs are less likely. But again, I, I say that truly with respect because I'm not blaming you or anything like that. But uh, God bless you, brother. It's, it's a challenge. And I'm sorry for that breakup. And Patrick, I'll just send out this kind of recommendation. I think that, you know, we hear so many stories about divorce and they fall apart and we think that's the end of the journey. And I was amazed by this book that came out a handful of years ago, compiled by Layla Miller. It's titled Impossible Marriages Redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. And these are stories of marriages that went through the legal proceedings for divorce, maybe didn't make it through an annulment, where they were living separately, where there was abuse, where there was infidelity, any number of things. And these stories are stories of redemption where these marriages were able to heal and come back together. I really want to recommend this book. None of these stories might resonate with you and to see how, you know, they were still able to pull things back together, even in the midst of affairs and and divorces, legal proceedings taking place. So impossible marriages redeemed. They didn't end the story in the middle. I hope you'll check out that book. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the episode notes for today's show. Uh, So many questions coming in. I want to make sure we get to one of these questions on Instagram as well. Michaela said, how can I work through bitterness towards my husband due to betrayal trauma caused by him? Uh, Repeat that question again. How can I get beyond the betrayal? Yeah, work through the betrayal trauma due to um, betrayal, due to, um, sorry, 
How can I work through bitterness toward my husband due to betrayal trauma that was caused by the husband? Okay, so I'm going to assume, to use layman's terms, that there was an affair and now she's having a hard time trusting. I get it. It takes a long time. You can do it. I want to say that. I know we don't have a lot of time, but trust has to be restored. So I would say engage in activities that foster trust. You know, uh, whatever that is, he, he needs to be an open book. His calendar needs to be open to you because you can't actually repair that relationship without trust. So whatever you can do about creating trust, that would be the way to do it and create new better, good times. Fantastic. That's a Joe Sakura, licensed marriage and family therapist. I know there's so much we could do in unpacking so many of these very deep and intense questions, uh, but it's a start. Joe will be back with us soon here on Trending. Check out his new book. Again, we'll post the link on social media. The whole world's going crazy, but you don't have to. I'll be right back today on Trending. Stay with me. A very fun topic. What did you have to take out of your life when you got married or with each kid you had? We'll get some laughs and some insights here. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Welcome back to Trending. It's our weekly marriage hour. Okay, I am cracking up laughing hearing some of the responses to this because they're so relatable. I threw this up on my social media the other day. I posted a picture of my daughter and I, and I asked, what did you have to take out of your life when you got married? or with each kid you had. So, funny story. Uh, these are one of those moments where you're kind of just clueless going into marriage. So, before I got married, uh, my day would go, okay, I woke up at about 5.30. I would, you know, get ready. I would go to daily mass, go to adoration. And then I'd come home and I would be full-blown in work mode before 7.30 in the morning. And I remember when we got married, my husband didn't have to leave for work until I think like maybe 9.30-ish. And I remember, you know, getting home from mass, getting home from adoration, and just whipping out my computer and getting ready to work and eat at the same time, which are all terrible habits, was a total workaholic. And then there my husband is something, oh, oh, slowly I close the computer. I have to visit with you. I have to sit and eat a meal with you. Not that I didn't want to, but just life changes when someone new enters into your world, your orbit, such as when you get married or when you have children. And it was really hard for me to lose about two or three hours out of my workday every day as I just worked too much. Uh, but what I realized is as I've had now my first and second child, that each time more and more has to give to make more time to be present to another human being in my home, in my heart, uh, just in my mental space. And things have had to give. And I've been thinking a lot about those different things. So I threw it up on social media. What did you have to take out of your life when you got married or with each kid you had? If you want to share, you can comment now on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I would love to hear what it was for you because it's a lesson for me of things maybe I haven't thought of. Interestingly, a lot of people have actually said they never thought about the fact that things needed to kind of be let go of to make time for their family members. Others are shared. It took them years to discover this. So if this is something that could be helpful to you, uh, here are some fascinating responses. Sandy from 
Cape Coral, Florida made me literally laugh out loud. I was reading her response as we were on air. Uh, she said that she had to give up going to the bathroom by herself because someone was always with her. I deeply feel that challenge as a mom with a two-year-old daughter. You try to teach them privacy. You try to tell them the doors shut. I mean, there's so m- I feel that deeply. And I think a lot of parents out there, in particular moms, I think dads just don't get this one in the same way, to be quite frank. Uh, poor moms on this one. Another one on that same note, Beth on Facebook said alone time. This is what she had to give up when she had children. She said, I basically get zero of this these days. She said, my youngest could be sound asleep. But as soon as I get up to take a shower, she is up knocking on the bathroom door, insisting on hanging out in the bathroom with me. Don't you love these children and their desire for quality time? My mom was actually another one I really appreciated. My mom said she had to give up books. My mom is an avid reader, as am I, and I fully appreciate and understand this. The reading time is limited. My new thing is, okay, I'm just going to read like two to four pages of my book for entertainment at night. Uh, if that's kind of what I was hoping or wanting to do, I have little quotas of how much I can read, but it's definitely not one of those, uh, hey, I can sit around and read for a couple hours or even half an hour. Uh, One of the things, big things I actually forgot about because Megan on Facebook said that they had to cut out uh, most all of the television She said, you know, I think we were watching too much before anyway, but she said they had to cut that out. And I had forgotten that we actually decided, my husband and I, to get rid of our television um, before our first daughter was born. Let me tell you, I don't know where I ever had time to watch TV shows, anything, because the amount of times, and I said this yesterday on the show, the number of times I've actually had time to watch something has been maybe once every couple months when we whip out a laptop to watch a show or a movie, perhaps. Uh, So I, I get that. And I don't think we always think about these things. You know, for me, the amount of time I've spent on social media significantly has decreased. In fact, I appreciated Tia Anita's comment on Instagram. She threw this up on my Instagram story. You can go and give your feedback as well. I'd love to hear from you. She said what she gave up when she had her daughter. She said television. Social media is now on a schedule versus on demand, which has been amazing. So she gave up TV, but she also now schedules in the time that she spends on social media rather than checking her phone on demand. This is actually something I really appreciate. I know Nira Isle uh, from the, the, he wrote the book Indistractable. He's been an awesome guest here on Trending. We'll post a link on social media in the episode notes to some of his episodes with us about how to take control of your life and not be distracted. But he says we need to schedule everything, including our scrolling social media, including our family time, so that we're intentional and we know what we should be doing when we want to do it so that we're not distracted. Uh, But scheduling social media has been one I'm starting to appreciate more for two reasons. One, um, just so that it's not time wasted. uh, But two, I actually realized how I want to use my social media for my own enjoyment is maybe 10 minutes once a week actually scrolling through some of the neat food pages I follow or some of the neat fitness exercise pages I follow, like things that I would maybe pick up a magazine historically for and look at. That's what I want to spend 10 minutes doing on occasion on social media. And actually setting that time, I think, is a good idea. Uh, But we don't. We just on demand grab our phones. So Tia Nita's input, I thought, was really appreciated as well. My phone is trying to start and talk to me. 
Do you ever have those moments where your phone just starts talking randomly or <laughs> playing things at you? I'm swatting it away. It's like a child who doesn't know when to stop talking sometimes. Okay, so more fun things that people said they had to give up when they had a child or got married. A lot of, I think, the feedback has to do with technology, which I think is really, really interesting to see that this is a leading thing that many people have said they've had to distance themselves from. Uh, that technology is both a distraction, but also in some ways somewhat frivolous at times. When I was thinking about this earlier today, what did you have to take out of your life when you got married or with each kid you had? I kept coming back to St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13 when he said, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, there's a lot more context to this specific passage, but I was thinking about this in relation to getting married, having children, just growing up and having more responsibilities or ways in which we could better use our time. And I realize that I think a lot of us, myself included, tend to get stuck on this idea of my time, my relaxation time, my show, uh, my social media time, maintaining my relationships. And not that you shouldn't maintain relationships, but the more we have responsibilities for people, spouses, children, different phases in our life, other things have to go. We can't maintain certain relationships the same way we used to. We can't spend as much time frivolously on social media or quote unquote enjoying a show. Not that there's anything wrong with some of these relationships or TV shows or whatever it might be for you, social media, staying connected, but it's that sometimes I think we're stuck in a childish way of thinking that I deserve or want or should have this because it's good or something I enjoy rather than choosing the better part. And I think that's part of what we're called to as people of faith. To be holy means to be set apart. But in order to do that, we have to choose the better part. Looking to the responsibilities that God has placed on our hearts and our vocations and choosing the better part and choosing to set ourselves aside for God a little more often as well. We've been saying for years, the research has been out there, but finally Oxford confirmed it. And this is what Oxford confirmed. A study confirms the link between birth control and breast cancer. Women's bodies are being chemically nuked by hormonal birth control. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Friday, we're going to talk about the impact of birth control on women's bodies, even causing cancer, and be joined by fertility specialist, Dr. Susan Caldwell. Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.